We're going to get into the teaching of the Word today. We are in a teaching series called After God's Own Heart. We are looking at the life of King David, who was declared in the Bible to be a man after God's own heart. And we're looking at different aspects and different characteristics of his life uh, to see what we can glean from that and apply to our own lives that we might be a people after God's own heart. Amen? And so we've already looked at David the underdog and what it means that God chose David, not because uh, of any special gift or ability that he had. He chose him because of his heart. And God is still in the business today of choosing underdogs and doing supernatural things in their lives. Last week, we looked at David the friend, and we looked at the power of friendship in our lives and as people after God's own heart who we're called to be as friends. So today, uh, I am not going to preach, but we are going to continue in our journey of our preaching development team. We've already seen this year Fran and Liz do a phenomenal job, and today it is Andrew's turn uh, to come on up. Of course, this is a great honor for me because this is my son, but uh, also he just graduated from high school, and in about 10 weeks, we'll be taking him off to college, uh, but that he is ministering the Word of God and uh, doing a fantastic job of it. So Andrew, come up here and share with us about David, the leader. Well, hello there. I'm Andrew, and so today... So today I am preaching on David the leader, and my big picture point of this sermon is that David, as a leader after God's own heart, he trusted God and was empowered by him to empower others. And before I get fully get started, I wanted to deal with the question of what then is a leader? And so maybe not all of us view ourselves as leaders, that maybe leadership we view as just the people on the very top. And I wanted to share a quote that my dad shared from John Maxwell, that sociologists tell us that even the most introverted individual will influence 10,000 people during his or her lifetime. Everyone influences someone. And so before you just push off the idea of leadership to someone else, I think it's important that we realize that our influence is much greater than we realize, that kind of the minimum is 10,000 people, and then we, should, we could also be even a greater impact. And so that in every encounter that we have, we should live with that idea that as David did, that he trusted God, was empowered by him to empower others. And so I have four points about David's leadership, that as a leader after God's own heart, that David as a leader after God's own heart trusted God in the little. And this came from Luke 16:10, where it says, "If you are faithful in the little things, then you will be. If you're faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. But if you are dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities." And so David was anointed to be king over all of Israel when he was just like a teenager. And the problem then, well, maybe not a problem, but he's had to spend over a decade waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. And so in that time, he really got to show himself in the little that he was first started as just a shepherd, that he was a leader over sheep and moving up to be a greater and greater leader. But in that whole time that he was um, in that transition period from being a shepherd to being king, he remained faithful in the little things. And so I saw three things that how he remained faithful. And the first was that David didn't try to take matters into his own hands 
that we see in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26 that he had the opportunity to kill King Saul. And by doing that, he would have a pretty good claim to the throne. But instead of doing that, instead of just taking matters into his own hands, he instead had the mindset of trusting God, that he saw it as wrong to kill Saul, and instead he stayed where he was, that he trusted where he, was, where he needed to be, that even though he wasn't in leading the entire kingdom, that where he was was where he needed to be. And so the next thing was um, being faithful to the little was he made sure he was listening to God. And in the past few weeks, it was talked about a lot how David had an intimacy with God that while growing up, that that was one of the things that he had. He had his harp and he worshiped to God. But that wasn't something that just disappeared once he became a leader, that that was something that he um, remained integral to who he was as he stayed a leader, that he remained in intimacy, and that before he went out to battle, that before he faced difficult circumstances, that he made sure he prayed and sought God's guidance, that he made sure that in his situation, he had God's guidance. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 30, that after the Amalekites raided David's camp and stole all of their family and all of their belongings, that his men were not too happy about it, that they lost everything that they had. And we see in 1 Samuel 30, picking up in verse 6, that David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after these band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, Yes. Go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So we see here in this difficult circumstance that David made sure that he, um, it said that he found strength in the Lord as God, and then he publicly asked God what to do and received the guidance of what to do. But I think one of the main things about this was also that Saul, King Saul, also wanted to hear God and have his guidance that we see throughout his leadership as being king he always wanted to have God's word about what battle to do, that he would bring in the priest, he would bring in the ark, even to the point when he brought Samuel back from the dead just to get another word from God. But the problem was that while Saul wanted all of these words from God, that he wanted the reassurance that it brought, the problem was he failed in actually doing what God told him to do. And we see in 1 Samuel 15 when Samuel had the word of God and told Saul to wipe out the Amalekites, when Saul went out to battle, he destroyed some of the Amalekites, but at the end, he didn't follow through and listen to his soldiers' opinion and kept what was good instead of completely destroying it like he was commanded. Well, David, on the other hand, that third point is that David followed through with God's commands. That, well, even if it wasn't the popular opinion or the his men didn't fully agree with it, that at the end of the day, that was what David made sure that he remained faithful to what God commanded, that he didn't just listen, but he actually acted on those words that we see in 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 5, that one day news came to David that the Philistines were at Kalah stealing grain from the threshing floors. And David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? Yes, go and save Kalah, the Lord told him. But David's men said, we're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go out to Kalah to fight the whole Philistine army. 
So David asked the Lord again, and again the Lord replied, Go down to Kalah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. So David and his men went to Kalah. They slaughtered all of the Philistines and took their livestock and rescued the people of Kalah. So here we see that David followed through with what God said, that his men were a little doubtful, but he led them through it. And I kind of, this led me to the misconception that knowing is half the battle. That as a youth group right now, we've been reading a book called Live No Lies. And it's really dealing with that, where the section that we're on is dealing with the misconception that knowing is half the battle. And apparently it's a G.I. Joe reference, but I'm not old enough to get it. <laughs> but the problem with making the idea that knowing is half the battle is that knowing by itself will maybe give that encouragement or motivation, probably like Saul wanted, that maybe it got the men to be a little bit more motivated to go out to battle. But at the end of the day, psycho psychologists have shown that knowing is only about 10 to 20% of actually doing something. That, like that, it'll give you the motivation, but it's not actually going to change anything in your life. And so I see it as something that a lot of us, maybe like me, will read our Bible a lot, but it, if we don't actually follow through, that if we just let it get in our head and we know what God said, but if we don't actually act upon that, then it was more so a waste of time almost, that David showed his faithfulness to God that in, even in the little things that he was leading, that he made sure that that remained the priority, that he followed through with what God said, even when it wasn't the most popular opinion. And so for us, wherever we are in life, whether we are as a, at a leadership position leading a bunch of people or even just in our everyday encounters, that we need to make sure that we're remaining faithful with what God has given us right now, trusting in him, listening to him, and the most important part is actually following through with what he said, that we can't just listen and trust, but it requires action as well. The next point that I then had is a leader after God's own heart. David was flexible, yet he was also firm. That I think there's two um, kind of extremes that a leader can fall into. The first is that they're too flexible, that they just say yes to everything that they hear and it kind of just try and please people. And that really easily gets the mission or the purpose thrown off course that you start to listen to people instead of God's word that he has for you. But then the other extreme that you can fall to is a leader that's too firm, that they don't really listen to everyone, that they have their own way, and they're kind of just stuck in that. And for me, I feel like sometimes, not to be like mean or anything, but there's some teachers that I feel like can get in that, that I feel <laughs> that they're too firm, that they have their way of teaching and they don't change. but. At the end of the day, while it's important to be firm, we also have to be a little bit flexible. That I remember one of the biggest moments of this one teacher was they changed from being one of those light projectors that you put the see-through paper on it and it projects it up, and they started using PowerPoint, and that was a big deal. And so they were, didn't remain stuck in their ways, that they were able to be flexible and adapt. And so for David, he was flexible yet firm. And this really came from the term differentiation that was used in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course that we just went, just went through. And that this was applied to David in the battle against Goliath, but I think it's relevant to his entire life that the differentiation that he was able to take these different 
situations. And by knowing who he was in God, he was able to, out of that, um, either stand firm and stay firm, or he was able to repent and be flexible in the situation. And so we see in 1 Samuel 24 and 26, when David had the opportunity to kill Saul, that his men were encouraging him to do it, that they saw God has placed him into your hands. It's your time to become king. But David instead, he remains firm that he says, no, I'm not going to do that and silences his men. And because he knows that he's going to instead trust God, that he knows who he is, that he's promised to be king. But he also knows that Saul right now is the appointed king and he's not going to take action against him. And then also in 2 Samuel chapter 16, when after Saul, or David gets um, temporarily overthrown by his son, a relative of Saul is cursing David for being a murderer and stealing Saul's throne. And once again, David's men just want to kill this guy, but David stops them and instead listens to what this man has to say, because at the end of the day, he's not affected by his words, because he knows that he's not the murderer, that we clearly saw he had the chance to be the murderer, but instead he chose to trust God. And so while this man was criticizing him, he knew who he was in God and that the bloodshed was on the Philistines, not him. But at the same time, David wasn't so firm that he didn't listen to other people, that as a leader, he was open to changing his stance, and especially when it aligned to God's mission and purpose over his life, that when God's will, that he saw he wasn't following that, that he was able to realign himself to that. And so we see in 1 Samuel chapter 25, David was helping out this guy named Nabal by camping his army around the shepherds and protecting their sheep. And so after helping out Nabal, David asks for a return favor and Nabal tells him no. And so David gets ticked off, gathers his army and is going to go kill him. And Nabal's wife, Abigail, comes out and talks to David and tells him what he's going to do is murder and convinces him otherwise. And so in 1 Samuel 25, verses 32, we see David's response that David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and keeping vengeance from my own hands. And so we see here that David, when seeing what he was going to do was just murder and vengeance, that instead he stops and leaves Nabal alone and goes his own way. And so we see that he was flexible, especially when he saw what he was doing was going to be a sin. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see once again that David, after his sin with Bathsheba, um, when it being exposed, he doesn't try and like back it down or downsize it, but instead just humbles himself and confesses about what he does is wrong. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And so as leaders, we need to make sure that we need, fall into neither one of those extremes, that we don't be too firm, but we also aren't too flexible, and that as leaders, we have to be confident in who we are in Christ, and out of that confidence, we're willing to listen to differing viewpoints and criticisms with an openness to change. So then, the third point then, as a leader after God's own heart, David was courageous. That we see when there was difficult circumstances that David doesn't back down that in the case with David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 32, don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul, I'll go fight him. 
Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. And this kind of reminded me of one of my friends, his favorite conversation starter is what animal could you beat in a fight? (laughs) What's the biggest animal that you could win? And personally, I don't have very much upper body strength, so I don't think I could take down a very big animal. And especially a lion or a bear, not just a lion or a bear, but a lion or a bear when it's trying to eat its food. That we talk about, oh, those animals will only attack you if you get in their way. Well, David was going and taking its food out of its mouth, so. But the thing was that David knew where his strength came from, that we saw the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. And so we see that David was empowered by God to do the task that he was set to do. That David knew where his strength came from. That we see, even when he goes out to fight, he says, And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And in First Chronicles 14, when going to battle against the Philistines, So David asked God, Shall I go out and fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? So we see once again, He asked God what to do, and so he actually followed through with it. When the Lord replied, yes, go ahead, I will hand them over to you. So David and his troops went up to Baal-perazim and defeated the Philistines there. And God did it, David exclaimed. He used me to burst through the enemies. And so we see that David, he knew what he had to do, and he went and did it out of that courage that was backed by the fact that he was empowered by God to do the task that he was to do. And after writing all that and being all excited, David was courageous. I really had to think about how then is that going to apply to us? Because at the end of the day, very few, if any of us, despite maybe like in video games or in a, something crazy happens, aren't going to be leading a bunch of people out to war. And so the question then is, what does that apply to us? How are we supposed to be courageous? And I think what we can learn is that David didn't avoid the difficulties or the conflicts but instead he was in the midst of the battle with those that he was leading. And so he led by example that we see through all of these battles that that courage allowed David to be on the front lines with his soldiers, that really David's biggest mistakes happened when he sent the soldiers out and stayed behind. And like that example of Kalah, when his soldiers were afraid, like we don't wanna go, David didn't just send them off to go do the battle, he went out to do it and led them out there. And so that courage allowed him to set the example of the behavior that he expected of those that were following them. And so he set the example that those that were following him then followed. So as leaders, we shouldn't be avoiding conflict, but instead be empowered by God to lead through it and setting the example of what is expected from those who follow. The fourth point then is that David built leaders. That as a leader after God's own heart, David built leaders. And that I think the main thing is that leading shouldn't just be about getting things done. I think that's a common misconception that can happen that 
Um, one, one, this reminded me of one of the most common group activities that I had to do in school, is whenever we needed to brainstorm, the teacher would split everyone into groups of three. That one person would be the writer, they would write everything that was brainstormed down. One person would be the presenter and shared what the writer wrote down. And the third person was the leader. And what did the leader do? Made sure everyone stayed on task and got things done. That, that was their whole job. They needed to make sure that things got done and got done on time. But I feel like that's a misconception that when we focus just on getting things done, that we miss out on the other part where leading should be about building people up. That David, as a leader, he built up leaders. And that we see this kind of what was talked about earlier with David's mighty men. That in 2 Samuel chapter 23, after David's final words, it started to talk about the men that he built up. And so these are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Joshobim, the Hakmonite, who was the leader of the three. The three mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Dodai, a descendant of Ahoa. Once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army fled. He killed Philistines with, until his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to plunder, or collect the plunder. Next in rank was Shammah, son of Adji from Harar. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in the field full of lentils. The Israelite, the Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. So we see these men accomplish things that were full of courage, just like David did, that when the Israelite army fled, these men, like David, stood firm in their ground and were courageous, empowered by God, and led great victories. And in First Chronicles, when it was talking about these men, it said they were the leaders of David's mighty warriors, that we see that David built up these leaders. And I think it was important that we then look at where did these leaders come from? And I found it interesting, these mighty warriors didn't start out as mighty warriors. That we see in 1 Samuel chapter 22, um, we see in um, when David was on the run from King Saul, he went to the cave of Adullam. And so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And soon his brothers and all his relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. So we see these weren't mighty warriors to start. They were kind of just the discontented outcasts that they were in trouble, they were in debt, they were on the run like David was. And David gathered them all together and David could have easily been kind of just, I don't know, disappointed that he was told to be the king over all of Israel, but instead he's leading this band of misfits. But with these band of misfits, he took them and turned them into mighty warriors that he led by example and was able to build them up, and they accomplished great things also. And I think it's important that as leaders we follow this example that, while it's important to get things done, that first off we should make sure that we are building people up, that that as we lead and as people we encounter, that we make sure that we are able to leave that impact on their lives. And for me, that 
the legacy that I want to leave behind that as I've been graduating, it's been talked a lot about the legacy, that that was our senior song, that the legacy that I want to leave behind isn't just about the things that I accomplished, that I got done. Yeah, some of those things are cool, but the impact that I had in building up people's lives is what I want to me that lasting impact, the legacy that as we saw David, that after his final words, this was his legacy as these warriors that he built up, that this kingdom that he built. And so this also kind of reminded me of this year at school. I did a capstone project where I built a prosthetic hand with this group of people. And the thing about this was each of us took a task that we weren't really equipped to do that I worked on kind of the physical aspect of it, the building of it, and how it relates to the function of an actual human hand. And the thing with that is that my thing is I 3D model and I program. And the two other people in my group, one was the 3D modeler and one was the programmer. And they didn't have any expertise in that field also. And so, as a team, we needed to be able to do this, but at the end of the day, what the whole capstone project was about wasn't about just getting something done, about making this prosthetic, but it was about learning and being able to build each other up that we didn't know how to do what we were doing, so we had to rely on each other to help us get through it all. And I feel like that's what leadership should be about, that yes, we have our strengths and different things like that, but it's also we need to be able to use those strengths to not just push forward ourselves that, yeah, we could get a bunch of stuff by just working in those strengths, but from those strengths that we're able to build people up. And if we all do that, then if we have weaknesses, then someone else's strengths can help build up our weaknesses as well. And that's really how you build an effective team, I think. And so David was flexible, yet firm. He was courageous, he was faithful, but out of all of that, that really allowed him to be able to build up leaders. That as a leader, he wasn't just about um, getting things done, that he really inspired greatness in those around him. And so in every situation that with those 10,000 people that we're going to encounter through our lives, then every situation that that's what I want to imitate, that David's leadership, all those characteristics that we need to be living those out and through that, the focus then can be on building people up, that out of that, that we can raise up new leaders and really shake the world. <laughs> Amen. Let's have the worship team come back up today. Amen. Great job. Great job. Hallelujah. So if the word leadership scares you, Let's instead consider the word discipleship, because whether you think you're a leader or not, every one of us has been called by God to raise up disciples, and raising up disciples is building up people. It's empowering them. It's pouring into their lives, and so as people after God's own hearts, let's look to the life of King David and see how he poured his life into building up others and what it took for him to live that kind of life. And let's pray that God would give us what it takes to live that kind of life, to pour into and empower others, that we would be courageous in difficulties, that we would trust God in the little things. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Hallelujah. We would not be swayed by popular opinion, but we would do what God said and follow through on what God said. And that we can be firm and flexible. That we can stand firm in the things of God, but that we can be flexible in the places where we need to grow. Thank you, Jesus. Will you stand together with me? Lord, I pray that this word would pierce into our hearts, God. Let each of us be challenged. Let each of us be expanded, Lord, in our influence. Let us be expanded in our ability to empower others because we were willing to receive of your word today. Holy Spirit, challenge us. Open our eyes to see the relationships of influence that you have given to each one of us. The spheres of influence, the places of authority, the relationships where we can touch and change lives. Open our eyes to see those, Lord. Not just as daily interactions, not just as routine encounters, not just as getting the work done, but as divine opportunities to pour our lives into others, to empower and build up mighty men and women of God. And Father, I pray that we would be willing to grow in every area of our lives so that we would not let those opportunities pass, but that we, like King David, would be ready in those moments when we are called to the front line, when we are called to the battle, when we are called to the difficulty, when we are called to the moment of obedience, that we, like King David, would be ready to answer the call. And there would be tens of thousands of lives changed and transformed because we were a people after your heart, Lord. We thank you for that. Minister to every heart today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.